Welcome to the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast, where we help you go from making your work your life to making your life work. We share true stories, interviews, and experiences that will help you, the hero, in your quest for passion and purpose. Higher purpose, higher productivity. This is the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast. What is up, purveyors of purpose? I am with someone that has impacted me for a couple of years now at least, and we've never met. So on the show today, you can look him up if you can spell his name, Mike McCallowicz. And uh, Mike, I'll let you introduce us in terms of how to spell your name. But first off, man, before you tell us what you do, Mike, tell us what you love, man. So uh, I love the work I do. I mean, I just absolutely love it. And it's uh, what I, it's interesting. So I've had a few businesses and I've just discovered a purpose um, that is so visceral for me that uh, every day I come to work, it's just a joy because I'm able to execute on it, experience it. doesn't mean like work's easy, but mm. it's always satisfying. Mm. That's what I love. So I love work. Love it. How many people can say that? A lot of us feel like we have to tie ourselves, Mike, to uh, an anchor, right? And then drag that anchor around all of our lives until we reach some weird imaginary finish line. And um, you're freeing people, man. I love, so Mike is the author of several books, many of which I prescribe to clients (laughs) (laughs) for medicine, Mike. Yeah. um, Thank you. you my my favorites i know there's the toilet paper entrepreneur the pumpkin plan clockwork is amazing and now i'm about halfway through profit first which is revolutionary i know i know it's changing the world but mike you are a prolific author and writer and impactor of this world and you're i think your sworn duty is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty it is wow you you did your research so like right there on my wrist you can't see it's wrapped in metal. It says eradicate on film poverty. I've never, since I've gotten this, ever taken it off. Woo. And um, what this does, it's funny. So uh, I, I have it here on my wrist because that's where the most of your blood flows through your arm, right? That's where the main artery is. So I want it to be flowing through me. It's kind of the visual I give to this. Oh, wow. Why is that important to you, man? Why? Well, and we were talking about offline, uh, February 14th, it was 2008, Valentine's Day. I had, at the point, I had grown a couple of businesses in the tech space and exited. I sold one in a private equity transaction, sold one to a Fortune 500. And I just thought I was like, hot, Donnie. I'm like, I, I'm so smart. I'm such a genius. I am Midas. It just overwhelmed myself with my own arrogance and ignorance. And uh, on that day, Valentine's Day, I had started a third business maybe about a year prior, maybe a year and a half. And it was a calamity. I was an angel investor and I use air quotes because I sucked at it so badly and the business um, collapsed and on February 14th I got a call from my accountant saying hey we're just starting your taxes and he's like uh, I don't believe I didn't believe I'd ever say this to you Mike but you really need to declare personal bankruptcy you're wiped out and what was shocking to it wasn't that I had to declare bankruptcy I logically saw my accounts dwindling so mm. fast it was the emotion like I didn't I saw it logically, but I couldn't accept it. So I was clinging on to this ridiculous hope that some investor would want to buy this horrible business I I had no clue on how to operate, or that some big customer would come in and just pay off all my bills. Mm. And it didn't happen. And uh, that was a day I planted the seed at least. I didn't understand entrepreneurship at all. Um, Those other businesses, there was a lot of good luck that played in. and they were never profitable when I was operating them. It was only when I sold them that I made my money. So I thought that was normal. So I didn't even understand business fundamentals. It, that day put me on a journey um, to explore what makes entrepreneurship work and what makes people successful. And sent me on a mission to simplify the entrepreneurial journey, selfishly for myself, like, like you know, to figure out how to d- drive profit consistently and build efficiencies. And, um, and also two other things happened. The most important thing is I hope that day my ego was ripped out of my soul. 
like a like a, a virus with these big flapping claws and stuff and 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 I hope my ego never returns, at least in that formation of thinking I'm better than thou, which is the worst of me. Um, and I'm ashamed of that, but that behavior and feeling like I was better than other people. Also set me on this purpose. And it went, and by the way, Donnie, you know, it was like the next morning I woke up like, oh my God, I have a life's purpose. And the angels were singing and hallelujah. <laughs> no, I started boozing. I became an insomniac. Uh, I, I was stuck in this self-disgust it took me about two years of navigating through that Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. It was around 2010 um, that really I went all in on on this purpose. Um, I, I during a period I did write my first book and it landed. It was okay, but it was really around 2010 I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm an author. This is what I'm meant to be. This is the vehicle to be of service to our world and selfishly to myself um, in eradicating entrepreneurial poverty and that day forward had been a, a full-time author for small business owners. So, and, and take us, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get out of this moment at, at, you know, quite yet because I find significance because what I'm, what I'm hearing Mike is that um, a, a day of, of really extreme suckiness yeah. that exposed some things that propelled you forward. And I think a lot of times that is the, that's the, like birth is a painful process, <laughs> right? Babies usually come out crying. Right. In, in that, you know, mom's probably as well, but um, th- there was some pain involved. Talk to us a little bit about the piggy bank moment. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I write about that in my book and, and I speak about it regularly. And I've told this story count feels like countless times and I still get emotional. So if I start crying, just uh, cut the tape. Um, but what happened in that moment? So February 14th, I get the call in the morning from my accountant and it, it just shook me because this is the day I had to face the reality. My bank account's already empty. Um, so I made a decision that I am proud of. I decided not to declare bankruptcy because what happened was, I was like, you know what? All of these financial woes are my own doing. It's not like my credit card company messed up. They actually granted me money. Uh, I am responsible to them. And all my debtors, debtors, I said, I will pay back because my responsibility is not theirs. And, um, but as a result, uh, we couldn't afford our house. So we had to ditch the house. We lost the house 30 days later, actually. We, you know, the cars, like we lost the cars, a lot of stuff went away. Um, the last car I was clinging on to, it, it took me a good six months, I think, before I was like, I had to get rid of this, it was, was the epitome of ego. It was the Dodge Viper. Mm-hmm. When I had sold my second company, I bought, you know, I thought I had to live like the rich people. Now we got a place out in Hawaii to go on sabbatical. We, I got these cars. We moved into a wealthy town with the intent of buying like the biggest house. It was my master plan. And I had this Dodge Viper. It was just this obnoxious ego. You know, you come driving around. It, 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 people see it. Um, and so I got, I, had, I sold that off. And, um, but on that day, February 14th, I had to go back to my family and tell them this was all going away. I was, my daughter, my sons, my wife, we, we were going to have dinner together. We had that on Valentine's Day, typically a big dinner together. And they cooked a meal and I came home late because I didn't know what to say. I was actually afraid to go home. And the meal sitting there cold. My wife escorted me and I sat down and I'm, I'm, I've been sobbing all day. And I started, started sobbing the worst. Because you know? listen, I'm the provider. I just define myself as a provider for my family. And the one mm-hmm. job I gave myself is the one thing I did the opposite. I stole effectively from my family and from their future. And so I had to face them. And I told my daughter, she was nine, like, I can't even, I can't pay for your horseback riding lessons. She to ride horses. It was 20 bucks for a group session because I was broke. And uh, she ran out of the room as fast as those little legs could carry her. Mm. And I was like, I thought, Donnie, she was running away from me. I, I, th- I thought she was afraid of me. And I was mm. so angry at myself. And I also respected because I wanted to run away. You know, when we hit these traumas in our life, these, these horrible moments, one solution is running away. Well, she wasn't running away. She ran to her bedroom, grabbed her little piggy bank, She'd been saving for a horse and she ran back down to me with this piggy bank in hand. She was crying. She was, daddy, daddy. She was, I'll start supporting our family. <laughs> and now I'm about to go. So 
that moment was um, just pure shame for me and embarrassment. But there was also this pride in my daughter, this little girl had you know, decided to step up when I had stepped down. Mm. And so um, that piggy bank is just something for, for me till the final day on our planet. Like when I take my final breath, I know that's the final thought I'll have is that moment. I can see it so vividly. And uh, it, that was ground zero, right? That was the, that was the source for me of, of change. And like I shared, it wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, hallelujah, I've got this. But I went through uh, a real, real struggle. Um, but it, it, it became the, it became the source for the turnaround and, and doing good things yeah. to be of service. Yeah. And, and interesting, Mike, it's almost like that's the beginning part of the process of going from this place where you were in quicksand uh, to really in, into this journey of where you, where you said in the beginning, you proclaimed, I love what I do. And, and, and now you're right. You're, you're into that work. You're serving the people you love. And if we were to look at the message of your life, like it's amplified how much now as opposed to then. Oh my gosh. Right. Like the impact. One nice thing about being an author is there is some very firm metrics. So I know over 500,000 books are in circulation out there. And that doesn't necessarily mean 500,000 entrepreneurs, you know, someone could buy multiple books, but it also means there's, there's many people out there that have heard the concept and will never read the book, but they've been affected by it. And that's actually the greatest component um, is, is just knowing that it circles around. I, I, I was invited to speak at um, on a television show, like a little segment and I'm in the green room and someone comes up to me and goes, I love your book. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Like this means so much. Like which book? And I like, profit first. I love it. And I said, I've never had a chance or I rarely get a chance to meet with someone face to face. And they're, they're talking about my book. Do you mind me asking you what, what's your favorite part? And she looks at me and she goes, Oh, I haven't read it. I just love your book. And uh, again, ego gets punched. I'm like, Oh, oh. but then I was like, Oh, this is amazing. This is what, what it's meant to do is that people don't need to, follow the steps and read this thing and buy and upsell and up level. No, the, the, the message is the message of transformation. And that's to me is the ultimate definition of impact. Mm. It's, not, it's not a product. It's now it has its own legs. It's, it's just perpetuating on its own. Yeah. And, and I want to get into, because there's some, some valuable stuff to the people that are in, in the audience here that uh, in, in, my, in myself, right. To, to pull from, uh, from your work, you're very prolific, man. Like in a matter of some since 2010, I don't know when you first started putting pen to paper. 2008, uh, the, not not the next morning, but 2008, I started writing. And, and my first book came out in 2008, so I've been writing for 12 years now. So you're cranking a book about every year and a half. That's what, that's what I'm trying to do. I've I've 25 more books I want to write, so I I want to complete about 30 to maybe even 35 books before I head out <laughs> okay okay so we're gonna dig into the meat of it but just specifically towards that why yeah how i'm really interested in the how because there's a lot of endurance in just taking one of these and doing that yeah, like, right, i'm experiencing pain <laughs> just yeah yeah writing is and i'm not i don't consider myself an efficient or even a good writer uh it's a labor of i love writing but it takes me a lot of iterations till I'm finally like, yes, I got it. I mean, a lot of iterations. Some paragraphs take me hours. Once I have the paragraph down, hours to figure it out. Mm. But there is a method and there's a way to make it more efficient. So um, the, the why is, I, I may one day write a book on purpose. I started to research around this already and um, I interviewed this one um, psychologist a few years ago. I said, what, what's the source of purpose? And of all the people I've interviewed on purpose so far, this one's the one that landed most with me and, and I can relate to it. She goes, uh, I, I can't remember her name, but I have a document somewhere. She goes, uh, oh, she goes, it's, uh, it's either one of the T's or a C. I said, one of the T's or a C. She goes, yeah, there's two T's. There's a big T and a little T and, a, and sometimes a C that triggers purpose. I'm like, yes. She goes, the big T stands for significant trauma there's a moment that we can all look back on that we're, we take a stance and we're like, this is the day this will never happen again. I will change this. I will fix this. Um, so for me, it was financial 
trauma. I didn't actually didn't know that's what trauma was. Cause I, I hear the word trauma. I think, okay, if you weren't, you know, if you didn't witness someone die out in the, on the war field, you have experienced trauma. Well, I understand a new definition of this. There's physical abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's financial struggles. There's all these different traumas we ex express. It's a jolt to our system. It's a massive punch to our identity. There can be harm associated with it. Um, or it could just be emotional consequences. She goes, that's the big T. She goes, for us, that is a source of purpose. Now, not everyone clings onto it. A lot of us become victim to that trauma. And that, that's a path that many of us fall into. Some people elect, that's a defining moment of something I'll never stand for again. There's also small T, she explained. Uh, I think the word she used was dripping trauma. This is like, you were the kid that was picked on in grade school every single day. And it's just this building uh, sadness or anger, disappointment. But then there's a moment comes, holy cow, I'm going to fix this. And I will not allow this to happen again to myself or anyone around me. That's the small T's. And then she goes, for some of us, it's also these C's. And that's childhood dreams. Mm. She goes, um, some of us, when we were kids, you know, daydreaming about, I want to be a baseball player one day, or I want to do this, that, that dream stuck around, but then it got abandoned. So it actually forms another form of drama because there's this incongruence with a perception of ourselves and what we've become. Mm. And when we face that incongruence, it triggers or sparks purpose. And I thought that was just a great definition of it. That's probably the three sources of purpose. For me, this gap of this thing called entrepreneurial poverty is a term I made up, but here's what I mean by entrepreneurial poverty. The day, Donnie, you started your business, the day anyone listening started their business, the day I started my business, the world sees us as wildly successful. The, the people that don't, don't know entrepreneurship, like you're a freaking millionaire now, you sit on the beach just drinking Coronas, you don't even have to work, it's like a cash ATM perception. The reality for the vast majority of entrepreneurs is way over here on the other side. No, no money coming in, barely surviving, uh, using up all of our savings, eradicating that, working our, and there's this, this gap, that gap I call entrepreneurial poverty. People say we're, you know, we're wealthy, we're happy, and we're crushing it. And we're like, we are poor, we're working ourselves off, and we're actually resenting our business. I want, I'm committed to closing that gap. I believe mm -hmm entrepreneurs not only should be, we, they must be wildly successful because entrepreneurs provide for our global society. And it's not just the financial economy. I think that's a big part of it. But you know, my employees, if I'm a, if I'm a boss, I, I'm creating all this uncomfort and disease, emotional disease in my company. And now that's going home. So small business owners affect community, financials, emotion, all this stuff. And if we don't get it right for ourselves, how can we get it? How can we serve anyone else? So that's why I'm so jacked up about this. Hey, thanks for being someone who is on this journey of purpose with me. And I am with you, my friend, and I've got something for you. Have you ever been moving towards purpose and sometimes it just looks like a big mess? Sure you have. We all have. And the reality is, is we're usually not going to get to a destination unless we have a roadmap. And that's exactly what I've created. If you will go to PurposeDrivenExecutive.com, you can get it for free. And this is the culmination of all of my studies, all of my coaching, all of even my own personal living. And I've created a very visual, very easy way for you to map out your purpose. This is for you. This is for people you're leading. This is for your family. Go on over right now, purposedrivenexecutive.com and get your free map of purpose. That is, uh, <laughs> I'm starting to get pumped up. Are you ready to come there, to the screen? A, like, yeah, come on, Rocky. Now here, let's okay. do it. <laughs> Going back to the moment you described earlier though, it's like, like when you said the moment, and by the way, how beautiful is that to be able to feel like you're serving the most important people in the world. I, I think that when we're looking at purpose, right, there is a who in purpose. Like it's, it's like, who are you yeah. for? And you're picking up the banner for, for the entrepreneur that's in the place of suck saying, come on, man, you, you, you belong up here because the world needs you. The world yes. needs your magic. And uh, that's what a beautiful thing. You know, it's funny. Thank you. I, you know, I also want, uh, others to be aware that world is a variable. So 
world can be seen as a physical globe and the seven billion people on this planet. World could also be our perception of a community. World could be the, the life of one other person. My, my son, I actually did a, a TEDx uh, speech and called The World's Best, which ironically for about two years, if you typed in The World's Best TEDx, it was the one coming up. I think that's why I got so many views. I don't, I don't think the that's SEO is free. That's awesome. Yeah, the world's best TEDx. Um, and it's not the world's best TEDx. But I did share a story about the world's best. And it, it, my son, my youngest son, he was younger than my daughter. Uh, he was maybe six or seven years old at the time. And the Olympics were on. Michael Phelps was just coming into his own and had been winning all these gold medals. There's this one particular race where he won, I think it was his eighth gold medal. And in the race, he was losing. He wasn't losing. He was in the middle of the pack, but he was slowly creeping up. And the effort he made was so visibly extraordinary that he won the race by 0.001 milliseconds by leaping out of the water, slapping it when the other guy was just reaching out. <clears throat> that happened. I'm watching it with my six-year-old son. I jump up. I'm like, his name's Jake. I go, Jake, that's the world's best. Like, that's the definition of the world's best, that extraordinary effort. Michael Phelps, the world's best swimmer ever. You witnessed it. Holy cow. And my six-year-old, you know, the truth out of babe's mouths. He looks at me, he goes, uh, he goes, daddy. I go, yeah. He goes, Michael Phelps is not the world's best. He goes, it's, it's Jimmy Mickledorf. And I go, and this is not a parenting tip. I go, who the fuck is Jimmy Mickledorf? Don't do that to your six-year-old, by the way. Not a parenting tip. Uh, Cause I was so caught off guard. He's like, oh, Jimmy's in my, my kindergarten class. He can swim across mountain lake. There's a lake where we live called mountain lake. He can swim across mountain lake. No one else in school can do that. He's the, He's the world's best. And uh, that's when I realized, oh my gosh, I had said, I have a preconceived notion of what the world is, but that's my vision. And I'm, I believe everyone else perceives it the same way. No, Jake, Jake is 100% correct. What I want people to understand is world can be a community. And that's actually what a world is. It's a community. It could be 7 billion people. It could be seven people. You know, I think... Uh, Sully, the guy who landed the, the plane, the Hudson, he, he is a, he lived purpose. It, all those flights he did had prepared him for that moment of, of changing people's lives. Um, and the fact that he has safely flown all those people before that is just as heroic. I think, you know, the person that goes to the old age home and, and sits with one person that has no care or no family alive and just sits there for 10 minutes, one time in her life and just breathes a little, life back into that person socially that's that's like world changing change the world yeah yeah so uh, it's all within us and it, it 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 doesn't need to be on a mass scale it can be very narrow and specific it doesn't need to be a lifetime journey it can happen in moments that was my un new understanding about purpose i love it. I, it and the reality is mike we can bring purpose into anything I remember yes. like you, yeah. you just, you, you brought up into my mind. I remember a guy, I, I don't remember his name, but I remember how he looked at, uh, I'm going to call him Al. Al was a sandwich artist and it's been like four, maybe five years ago that I walked into just a grocery store where they had a deli in the back. So we have Publix down here in the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you walk to the back and he's like, you know, welcome to Publix. I'm about to make your best sub. <laughs> ever tasted step right up and he just made me feel like I was at Disney World and this guy was like in that moment I forgot that I was in a grocery store I forgot that I love whatever it. was going on in that day he like he lit me up that's life changing yeah. my world right is it in in the words you just now said world famous he's world famous and you know what he did is uh okay you're talking about it now you know months later days later years later for the right yeah, it's so funny. Right? We have that opportunity for impact. Um, same within, it's within all of us. It really is. I love it. I lo uh, and and it's, it doesn't always have to be this thing at the mountaintop. It doesn't no. have to be something with millions of people. It no. doesn't have to be some like, thing where we think, oh, I, like, I think we make it so big. And when we make things so big, we tend, there, there are so many barriers. And there's so, there's so many. Yeah, then it becomes what we don't even want to do, right? I think it can be big. I think it can be deep. You know, I remember those, those free hugs thing, and now it's become kind of a meme, but someone started that free hugs thing. I'm like, well, that's freaking just genius. And I, I don't think, I don't know who, I don't know anything about that story, but I don't think that person said, you know what? I think a good marketing technique is free hugs. You know, I think the, the person that did it said, you know what? 
some people need to be hugged. I suspect that's what triggered that. I don't, I don't know. But it, 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 it can be something that is done in the moment. But it has to be a decision. And I think it has to be a commitment too. Um, Talk, like it's not like, you know, I, you know today I'm going to go to an old age home and speak with someone that's old just so I can feel good about myself for a moment. I don't know. That's great. I don't know if that's living purpose though. Purpose well, I mean, is... is you, you, really invest you, you can look at your calendar, rip today's page off. It's Friday, whatever, the, February yeah. 7th today. Yes, yeah. Look at each of those places and it's like, how do I need to show up? Yeah, yeah. With yeah. this person, with that person. When I get home, how do I show up for those people? Um, I, I'm sure you know Brendan Burchard. One of the things that, that I've taken from him is like, man, when I walk through the door back into the home, I have one job. I'm bringing yeah. a joy. Like, I'm like, I'm not like super business guy or like coach. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You better be bringing the joy, man. That's the that's all that matters. And yeah. I've got eight kids. Uh, so. Holy shinoli. <laughs> Mike, take me take me here because I I know that um, one of the things that I can I can say that um, I appreciate about your work is that you actually take something complex and you make it you you simplify it and you you do you have a couple of really good. I don't know if I would call them allegorical stories, um, but get, like the pumpkin plan, right? <laughs> Finding your, your someone and, you know, like, can, can you just speak to, to business owners, large and small? Yeah. And these aren't just business owners. These are people who are running teams because sure, you grow your sure. team the same way you grow your business. Talk to us about the idea of the, uh, the Great Atlantic Pumpkin. Yeah, so um, I, I ended up studying. I found there's this thing called biomimicry. Biomimicry is where something exists in nature uh, and that pattern or that technique can be converted into business. Yes. So uh, as I was studying business growth. New word um, of the day. I would, it was biomimicry, the word of the day. Um, so as I was studying business growth, I was like, oh, how does this happen in nature? And uh, a business coach of mine said, oh, you got to study pumpkin farmers. Okay. And uh, 90, you know, 9% of pumpkin farmers are what I call the ordinary pumpkin farmer. They're in the quantity game, grow as many pumpkins as possible, massive fields. You have a big season. It's the fall season. And that's when you got to move 80% of your goods. Um, the extraordinary pumpkin farmer, or they're called the colossal pumpkin farmers. Um, there's a small faction of them, but they grow these massive pumpkins that, you know, the size of cars nowadays. And so I studied those people specifically. They change the growing process. I would say there's about 5% of things that they do is that diff that's different than the ordinary pumpkin farmer. Yeah, they got to water, they got to turn the soil, they got to do all those same things. But you start off with a Atlantic, uh, what was it called, the Atlantic Giants. The Atlantic Giants, there was a guy, Howard Dill, if I remember correctly, in Canada, uh, who is the creator of this. And the goal is to get a seed that has the most potential that matches your soil content that can leverage your climate of that seed has the most potential. Then you do a couple other steps in a sequence and the pumpkin starts to grow explosively. What I found in business is we need to pick the right seed. And we actually we're talking about purpose is part of it for sure. Um, and I would argue purpose played into uniqueness, distinguishing ourselves, really being a full version of ourselves but in a way that is distinct and stands out. Um, then matching that with demand, like there's gotta be a client base that wants that uniqueness and matching that with systemization, often that's the, probably the most overlooked part is once you're distinct in the market and you have customer demand for it, how do you make it run on automatic? Now you've positioned a seed for colossal growth. And there's more steps to it, but that's what the pumpkin plan's all about. The last, comment about it, which is interesting is when I hear from readers regarding that book specifically, the term pumpkin is so lodged in their mind. It's, it's such a mnemonic that people come up and say, Hey Mike, I'm growing my big pumpkin. Um, or I, I got rid of a rotting, rotting pumpkin. Um, and I like that because, because I think business books in general, I shouldn't say in general, but business books can become very complex and heady. There's very, some very philosophical, important books, but hard to consume. Um, I struggle with that. Um, I have some, I think, learning challenges. I, I actually know I did, at least, or may still do. I had to go to school, special classes for learning challenges. And um, I, I, did, I can't understand, I can't, 
pay attention long enough to complex things. So I, I desperately need things simplified in order for me to be able to retain it. And that's why I write the books the way I do. And it, it brings me joy to hear that people start using those terms and, and that that simplified version of something that can be much more complex is working for them. So, so, but specifically, there are a lot of people right now, Mike, that are uh, serving anyone and everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. And the, the reality is, is that when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to a whole host of <laughs> other things. And, and if yeah. we're growing that, right, the, the big pumpkin, like what, what's, why, why the big pumpkin instead of the, all the little ones? And, and how, do we, how do we begin the process? There's a pain, like we, there's the, the beginning of that plan is actually pretty painful um, yes. to, in, to us, the, uh, the business owner, entrepreneur, so I think there's a couple of reasons things are going on. First, when you, when you start a business, when I start a business, I don't know what's going to work, what's not going to work. I have some assumptions. So I think in the very, very early stages, there is a responsibility to at least get some footing and saying, well, do any customers want this and get some sense for it. Then to transition to second gear, so to speak, then we need to commit to a community. Uh, and, I think many entrepreneurs are fearful of that. First of all, they're used to the old approach. Anyone and everyone's a good client. That's not true. Mm -mm. So we're used to it. Secondly, we start to um, uh, believe that if we commit to a community that we are saying no to so many others, that could become this downward spiral. What if I commit to the wrong community? I'm done. And what I don't speak to, I think, directly but indirectly in pumpkin plans this is not about exclusivity it's about specialization yeah it's not niche exclusivity which means no one permitted fire everybody this is niche specialization it's, it's catering our abilities to a specific need and um i, I think we're just afraid of the risk the, the the parallel though i use with pumpkin planners is you will never anywhere on this planet go down some dirt road some country road and see a pumpkin farm this massive field where miraculously a colossal pumpkins growing out of it it'll never happen and the reason is is the ordinary process prohibits it guarantees nothing colossal will grow because we're spending the nutrients the time everywhere so everything falls within the norm and average these colossal pumpkins is because of this maniacal focus on the flip side sometimes a pumpkin grows so fast it actually splits under its own weight um these pumpkin farmers get crazy they actually will shoot at each other's pumpkins in the middle of the night with shotguns to just to compete it gets crazy um, but those classic pumpkin farmers, I never saw them saying, oh, I guess the process doesn't work. They all simply said, oh, it wasn't my season. And they went back and they started to do the exact same process again. If we want to experience significant size or growth, and we don't have to, but if we want to, um, this process of caring for a specific community, catering to that community is the key. And sometimes it will collapse and it won't grow the right way or some competitor will take a pot shot at you and it'll actually work and take you out. These guys understand that this wasn't your season. You guys start again. The process is sound. Uh, and I've, I've now observed and coached hundreds, if not thousands of businesses through this process of catering to a specific community and seeing the history over the years. It works. Just, you know, there's it's some scary. external factors you have no control over. Mike, it is, it is scary. Actually, um, in, in my story, you know, in relation to that was about a year ago, um, we were sitting in Mexico after deciding we would be intentionally homeless for three years. My family <laughs> of 10, we were moving around and here we are in Mexico. And I realized that I was spending, um, I was coaching at that time, 36 clients, right? which is a like it's that's energy sucking. So one on one, not yeah, I, I, that that is energy sucking. That's yeah. that's one on one. A lot of work. And the reality is, is that that only about half of them were was I in love with. The other half were just they were people who were assigned to me. I was working in a company, great company, but it's just like I didn't choose them. They didn't choose me. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't exciting, right? I wasn't waking up to be with the people I love the most. And the reason I couldn't was because I had this. I had these small pumpkin pumpkins mm -hmm. um, taking up soil space. Yes. And the reality is, is that at least that I came to is that surviving, which is what I was doing and thriving are actually competing for the same bandwidth. 
Yes. And, and I would never be able to get ahead as long as I had these, these other things blocking my soil, blocking my nutrients. And we made a decision in Mexico. It's kind of funny because even some of the stuff like was, uh, it, <laughs> like there's still, still uh, certain digital aspects that think we're in Mexico because like it, it read where we, where we originated. And, um, but that was, that was my start. And I can tell you, it was a painful, well, at least it was a fearful first step because you're, you, you say, you know what, whack the small ones before, like whatever's not profitable, yeah. whatever's not ideal, like that's what you do first. Before you <laughs> yeah, do yeah, it's crazy, right? The big ones. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, you know, th things, are, things are much better now. Then you, you bring us into um, really something I found to be um, just super, super helpful. And, and this is in the book Clockwork. You define something called a QBR. And if there's anything that I were to say, hey, if, if a business has a purpose, really the QBR is, is the queen bee role. I want you to tell us a little bit about yes. that. And um, just, just kind of, yeah, dig into that. Like business purpose. I do also want to hear about the big bang in this part as yeah, well. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd love yeah. to talk about that. I, I get really asked about that. The QBR stands for queen bee role. And it is the core function in a business that delivers on the purpose of the business. Um, and as I look back on that book, I, it's a little bit confusing. I'm actually considering one day in the future of doing a rewrite um, for this book, to, specifically around the QBR. There's other elements too, but the QBR is, gets a little confusing. Here's what it is. We need to, and we already do, uh, determine what our promise is to our customers from our business. What is the business delivering to our customers? And I know we do many things, but what is the essential delivery? Uh, the example I like to use is FedEx uh, and FedEx promises to deliver our packages on time. Now they offer a tremendous suite of services and printing and packaging and stuff. But the number one promise, their reputation is, uh, is to deliver packages on time. So question one is what do you stake your reputation on your business reputation? Step two then is to look back in the business of all the functions and say, what's the number one function activity that makes that promise reality. Now there's multiple components, but what's the most important? So for FedEx, you know, they, they have customer service and they have other things. They, they also have logistics. Of all the things they do, the logistics, the movement of packages is the one most important element that's for getting packages delivered on time, their promise. I would argue that FedEx today could say, you know what? logistics, you know, screw it. But let's focus on customer service. We, we, we're going to be the nicest company all of a sudden. Well, they're, they're staking their reputation on, on delivering packages on time. And now they say we're going to ramp up our customer friendliness. I would argue within a week, FedEx, the headline in the, in the newspaper would be like, FedEx going out of business, um, don't know where a single package is, they drop logistics, but hey, they're super friendly about it. Like, like they're done. Now, flip it around, FedEx tomorrow could say, you know what? We're abandoning our customer service. We're not actually not going to answer the phones anymore. Let's just reallocate those people to logistics. We're just going to ensure that every single package shipped through FedEx gets delivered on time, the right place, every single time. Uh, we're not going to answer the phones. I think one week the headline comes out and says, uh, can't get hold of FedEx, but the packages are on time. <laughs> you know, And FedEx won't go out of business. Right. They, they may get a little putt, gunch to, uh, putt to, sorry, punch to the gut, but they won't go out of business. That's what the QBR is. The QBR is the essential heartbeat of your business. And it must always be running unabated. It must be purely efficient. It must be serviced. It must be the number one priority. All the other elements in our business simply need to be in the ballpark. You got to be okay at customer service if you're staking your reputation on delivering packages on time. And I would argue, if you want to do the counterpoint to this, you could look at Zappos, deliver happiness. That's their promise. They better never compromise customer service. They're on the flip side. If, if, if they ship late, if, if it doesn't work out well, yeah, okay. As long as they're like the nicest company in the world, they're going to retain business. So we get to pick what we stake our reputation on. Mm. The QBR then reveals itself. It's the singular activity that most supports it. And it always has to be humming along. Love it. Yeah. And, and what I love most about this, Mike, is it gives permission for people to really express their DNA. So it's not about like trying, you, you're not replicating FedEx. I think if you could, like, I guess maybe there are companies that do that, 
but they're never going to surpass FedEx by trying to be a replicant of, right. of, of FedEx. But it's, it's just basically saying like, what are your assets? What do you do the best? What is a promise you deliver? And, and I, I love, um, I'm sure, you, do you know Brittany Hodak? I don't recognize that name. Okay. But it doesn't mean um, I don't know that person. Shark Tank and she, she created something called Superfans. Okay. And um, the idea is you start with the, with the backward side of your, um, of your process, your sales process. And, and the reality is, is that you find out how people, you can make people feel loved, appreciated, and all of those things on the backside. Mm. So they become super fans who give you more attention than a normal person would. Mm. And, you know, the, the reality of that is, is that no, there's no greater thing that's going to proliferate your business or cause sales than a promise delivered. Like it's like being able to like go back to the, to that basic thing. Um, yeah, just, I love it. And the idea that a, that a queen, like it's the whole queen bee thing. I'm going to, I may forget a lot of the words of your book. I can guarantee you are, I already have, but the queen bee role in, in knowing what the most important thing is. Like I, Mike, I just love it. It's, again, like the complex is made. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be made even simpler. And that's why I want to go back to that book. I, I want to, um, there's something you did. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway through profit first. Yeah. But there's, there's something you did. It has to do with smaller plates and an infomercial. And um, <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, the, the reality, when we look at the way that most of us do business accounting, it, it actually is one of the bigger hindrances of the small business that keeps small from getting to medium, keeps medium from getting to large, the way that we see profit. And yeah. mathematically it's correct, but psychologically it's way off the charts. And I love how you, um, and I want you to explain this a little bit, you dig into actual, the way human psychology works versus yes. the way we think it should work. Yeah. And, um, and you hijack and, and, and essentially create a plan that is um, that takes advantage of the way we already are instead of trying to make us something we're not. That's the key. That's the key. So uh, all the work I've done is rooted in behavioral psychology. Now, I am not a behavioral psychologist. I am not a doctor. I don't have a, a degree in this. It is just something I study incessantly because I just, I'm just so curious about how our minds work. Um, and What's fascinating is um, is really hard to change our own established patterns. Um, we may change them for a while, but we revert back to it. So one thing I've, I've read through these multiple books, I encourage people to read uh, Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. It's a oh, great yeah. yes. uh, source. I, I'm friends with James Clear, Atomic Habits, another great book. Yes. Um, what I've found from their work and others is that if we want to affect change, it's best not to change ourselves, but to intercept a path. Here's what I discovered. When it comes to accounting, what I was doing and what now I found is the majority of small business owners do is we skip the accounting system. We don't know how to read an income statement and tie it to a balance sheet and tie that to a cash flow statement. Right there alone, you know, my head starts spinning. So we, there's an alternative method, it's called gut. And what we do is we log into our bank account. We look at the established balance in our bank account at the moment. Based upon what's there, we make decisions. If there's money, you can spend it. If there's no money, you panic. That's the, right? So that's our natural path. Well, in one of these books about habit and channeling, what I discovered is uh, that you can put intercepts in. And uh, for example, like when I, I exercise now regularly, and I, I have uh, approaching like five or six years of just regular workouts. The, most fundamental thing I did was I put my gym shoes on the toilet seat in my house because when I go to get up in the morning, I noticed that my natural behavioral path was to walk and go to the bathroom. That's what I did. And the gym shoes, the sneakers used to be in the closet. Well, I go to the bathroom, then I come out, fire up some coffee and day's done. I'm not going to work out. Now with those shoes on my toilet seat, I'd walk in. I'm like, oh, I have to grab the shoes. There's no, it's intercepting my behavior. So now I have shoes in my hand and that starts the trend to, okay, just put the shoes on and like, okay, shoes are on. Let's just get this stupid gym thing over with. With our finances, since our natural path is going to the bank, we need to intercept that. In fact, we need to continue that behavior. We just need to change the system at the bank. So we set up multiple accounts with multiple purposes, profit, 
owner's compensation, tax responsibilities, your business will, can pay the owner's taxes, operating expenses to pay the bills, maybe even other accounts. But now when money flows into your business, you allocate, and I teach in the book how to do it, but you allocate money to the different accounts. When I log in, like I do, and I still do, I log in every, well, at least once a day, I log in my bank account. Money is allocated to its intended use before I spend a dime. So I start working within the confines of what's there. Unfortunately, with Profit First popularity, there's many people out there sharing their insights and ideas around Profit First. And I've seen uh, people saying, um, oh, you can do Profit First on a spreadsheet, or oh, you can just do it in your accounting system. And that's not true. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a shame to see that, because those people are just thinking about the logic. Yeah, logically, you could do this on a spreadsheet. You could use an abacus. I get it. But behaviorally, you've taken away the most important thing, which is intercepting the natural path. Yeah. Those processes defeat the system. So we need to intercept the way we behave. And, and, and human nature, right, is that we are resourceful, meaning uh, we're going to use all of our resources. So if we see something, we basically take it to zero. That's, that's with time, right? Uh, that's with money. That's with whatever resource we have because we, we're going to use those all. Um, Parkinson's principle, right? Parkinson's My wife and I had this conversation last night. It was funny. We're, we're working on renovating our kitchen and uh, it's a total uh, torn apart now. The kitchen is not functional and won't be for a little while. So we set up a little micro, we have a downstairs like uh, kind of utility sink. There's a utility sink and there's a little thing next to it and there's four plates uh, and there's four sets of utensils and uh, there's four bowls. And uh, I saw my wife last night. She goes, you know what? I've, She's, she's been a stay-at-home mom and uh, she, she loves to care for the house and stuff. And she's like, I'm kind of bored. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I spent an hour or two cooking, preparing the kitchen, working. She goes, now we have this new little thing. She goes, I don't have to clean anything. It's, it's never been so efficient. She's like, I don't even know if we need a kitchen anymore. And that's Parkinson's law. There's less space. Uh, we expand into the space. We, we utilize the resources yes. put in front of us. So instead of thousands of plates and pans piled up and all this stuff, Everyone's working with just a microwave and their one plate and uh, the work goes away. It, it's, it's interesting too that um, one of the things, and you've probably seen this, I know you've coached a, a, a lot of people, but sometimes the, uh, the issue between lack of productivity is that people have too many resources in front of them. And certainly with that accounting method, like we see this whole pot that we, uh, we think we're using and we always end up with the probably profit last instead of first, yeah. <laughs> but, but also with our time, right? Oh, I have, I have three weeks to do this. Really, you could get that done in one or I have all totally. day. Why don't, you, why don't you try to get down to half days, be done by noon? And it's a challenge of less, not more. Sometimes it can bring us to our place of efficiency. Par Parkinson, that, that's what he did his course study in. So his name is Northcote Parkinson, was a, the, uh, a behavioral theorist and studying our use of time and basically said that the more time we avail to a project, the longer it takes. Mm -hmm. So constrain the time. Love um, it. Yeah. Mike, it's been fun hanging out with you, man. I know like talk to your core audience, man. If you could give sure. a, a word of, of encouragement, um, you know, you, you see, you talk to, I know you, you you're speaking 50 times a year. Uh, you have a great podcast. You're always, uh, you, you actually are open and available via email, which is pretty amazing. Um, so you hear a lot and you know a lot of what's, what's going through the pain, the struggle. And if there's any encouragement that you can give sure. to, uh, to that group, man, they're struggling with, with maybe they're in the moment of the piggy bank. That yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. Gap. Talk, talk to those people, man. I'll give you, I'll give you two things, a two for one deal. Um, one, I want to go back to, you, you mentioned the big bang earlier, and I want to explain what that is because I think that is kind of the grandiose big thing. And then there's a small awareness I want people to have. So the big bang, um, was, or is my own version of BHAG. So there's this concept out there. I think it came from Jim Collins called the big hairy audacious goal. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in good to great. Um, he's an extraordinary author. I love his books. Um, the BHAG I wanted to expand on. So BHAG was, you know, set a crazy goal for your organization. Um, and the crazier it is, you know, shoot for the stars and you'll hit the moon type of concept. But I felt it need to be expanded on in two ways. So Big Bang stands for big, beautiful, audacious, noble goal. And it was the beautiful and noble parts that were missing, I thought. Yeah. Here's what beautiful is. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right, the whole essence of what we're talking about is like 
you know, is the world's best Michael Phelps or is it Jimmy Mickeldorf? Well, the answer is yes, both. Um, it's in the eye of the holder. I think we need to define our business in what we define to be beautiful. So it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It matters what you hold is beautiful. It speaks to your heart. Yeah. That's the beautiful part. And I think we also need the nobility component. Nobility is to be of service to one person, to many people, but to others. Like, I think that's why we've been on this planet. And so I think businesses need to have a noble purpose. Um, and I can go into details. Actually, I'm, we're experimenting with executing on stuff here that's going to go into a book around nobility as a business. Um, but that's probably five or 10 years out, but we're experimenting it here at our school office. Um, the second thing I wanted to share, which I think is more practical, but it's a mindset shift is your clients, our clients, every client wants your business to be very, very profitable. And they'll never use those words. They'll never say, Hey, I want your business to make a lot of money. Hey, can you rip me off today, please? Those are the exact words your clients will not use. Here's what they will say to you though. I'm your client. I want the best of your service or I want the best of your product. I want your full attention to me. I don't want you to be distracted by any other client. I want your attention focused on me until this transaction successfully uh, is completed. If, if there's problems after the fact, I want to be able to come back to you and you're like open arms and we're working on this. I want your full attention, full service. The only way to give undistracted, undivided attention to care for our customers is if we have no worries. And the, one of the major causes is financial worry. Most businesses, unfortunately, are under constant financial duress are not profitable. So as we're serving client A, we're panicked to get in client B because we don't have enough money. And that means client A is being compromised because we're only half-assing as we look at client B. So we have a responsibility to charge our clients right, to dictate margins we deserve, to be highly profitable because when we are, we can deliver on what they're asking for. So they want us to be profitable. Love it. Mike, how can we find you, man? Um, if, if we've fallen in love with your voice, we can listen to your books on, on uh, Audible, Audible audiobooks.com, yeah. I'm sure. But um, can, tell us where we, can, where we can connect, where we can find you and, and interact. Yeah, so I, I have um, the starting point is my website. Now, it is mikemichalowitz.com, but no one can spell Michalowitz. Uh, so I just have a shortcut. My nickname in, in high school was Mike Motorbike. Uh, I've never driven a motorcycle. That's the, the irony of the whole thing, but it rhymes. So if you go to MikeMotorbike.com, I'm so happy I scored that domain back in the old days. If you go to MikeMotorbike.com, it forwards you directly to my site. And uh, all my books are there. Um, I, I, for each book, I give minimally away, I think, two chapters. And it's not just, you know, oh, intro and, and little, you know, teaser. It's the, the core chapters. My goal is that they'll have impact on your business immediately. And then you can decide if the book you want to go further or not, but at least we can change your business in the moment for free. So you get my books for free. Uh, I used to write for the wall street journal. You get that for free. I do a lot of video content and I do have a podcast called entrepreneurship elevated where I talk about this stuff too. So MikeMotorbike.com is the starting point. Come on, go, go listen guys. Uh, look Mike up and uh, Mike, thanks for doing good work, man. You're making things better for the rest of us. So we appreciate you. Donnie, thank you for doing this. I'm blessed to be on your show.